The tragedy of life, children dying in the street. It's hopelessness and lies, some don't care, some don't see. Out of all the things we've tried, it's one required. We need the truth, truth for a generation. We need the truth, truth for a generation. Yes, we do. Hallelujah. Would you lift your hands in his presence? And out of the abundance of your heart, just let him know how much you love him. God, we yield our hearts to you. We yield our hearts to you. We bless your name today. Your name is above every name. Your name is above every name. Every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that you are Lord at some point. But even this virus must bow. So you are above all things. And all I ask, Father, is that your people place you above all things. Let your people place you above everything. Bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Worship and adore you. I just want to tell you that I love you more than anything. Just want to tell you, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you that I love you. Now, Father, we're about to go into your word this morning. We ask for your wisdom, Holy Spirit, to help us navigate the ancient text. As you, O oh God, enlighten our hearts this morning and empower us by your spirit. We bless you for all things and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, normally I would tell you to greet one another, but just have a seat and wave at your neighbor. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, God, Paul, you can. Thank you so much. Let's get my up here. Hallelujah. Glory.
Praise you, Father. We honor you this morning. We honor the Lord this morning. Amen? We honor the Lord this morning. Are we on? I know we had some technical issues this morning. Are we up? My daughter, where is she? Hallelujah. Are we up there? All right, good. Welcome, online community. We welcome you to the service this morning, everybody. And those of you that are joining us online, and we had some technical issues. We apologize for that, but we are pulling it together. We are pulling it together. Thank God we were able to make those adjustments. One thing is clear. One thing is clear to us. God knows how the world is, and he knows how to get the world's attention. <laughs> Paul, I'm going to let you. You want to hang out? Uh, no, no. Come on. You rest. You're good. Praise the Lord. I love to have Paul play behind me, but I'm going to give him a break this morning. He knows how to get the world's attention. Amen. We just completed six weeks of a series on discipleship. So now you can go to work. Timing is perfect. Amen. This becomes one of the greatest opportunities for you to share your faith with people who are worried and concerned and all they know is worry. Some people, all that's the world they live in, is a worry world. So it becomes a great time. There are acts of kindness that during this period that you can exercise. Find a, a person, maybe an elderly person living in your community or someone near you. They may need groceries or whatever. People are having challenges right now. Find out how you can help. Amen. Find out how you can help. Share your faith. Leave a card on the table of of Starbucks uh, with a scripture on it. Uh, <laughs> um, when you get together with friends or people that you know, call your unsaved friends and have prayer with them. They're concerned right now. Bring their fears to a place where they can be allayed. Amen? Amen? So this is a great time to really, really, great opportunity to, to um, be the disciple God has called us to be. So again, it's great to have everyone, uh, online community this morning, good to have them. We had a lot of folks that could not be here with us, but they are listening to us this morning, and we welcome them. I want to say something. The Truth Center app now becomes more important than any at any other time, because now this is how we're going to be sharing information. This is how we're going to keep in touch with you and let you know what we're doing. Um, as of next Sunday, there will be a better streaming vehicle in place. Um, this kind of forced us to go streaming, and um, we, we were not able to get all of the things we needed to actually put the equipment together, but it will be done this week. And so they did a workaround. We have brilliant people. They did a workaround, and the workaround failed this morning. So I think we're just on audio this morning. Where's my 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 daughter? Are we my daughter? Where is she? She's um she's feeding me information. Um are we all just on audio or are we video? Just audio. Okay, we're just on audio. All right. So next Sunday we will have the video up and running. 
Let's get your Bibles and your, your phones and, and uh, let's go to 2 Timothy 1.7. How to view a crisis. That's what I'm going to talk to you about. Are you ready to learn? Amen. All right. How to view a crisis. That's what we're going to talk about. We know that 2 Timothy 1.7 says this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. You are going to hear this a whole lot during this period of time. But that's the scripture that kind of reinforces in us that God, the kind of attitude God wants us to walk in. Amen. A disciple is not above his teacher. But everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's what the scripture says. We want to be like our teacher. Amen. Yes, we want to be like Jesus. That's, and here's the interesting thing. The Bible says, in this world, we are like him. Now, I like the way the Bible speaks sometimes because it speaks in ideals. Because not everybody's there. But it gives you something to strive for. In this world, we are like him. And the reality is God is constantly working toward making us more and more to look like Jesus. That's the objective. So as he was, so are we in this world. First John 4, 17. We want to be like the teacher and that's called discipleship. That's what it's called. The question is, would you say our teacher understood crisis? Would you say he understood crisis? Absolutely. The cross was all about crisis. Designed to move us. And the cross did something specifically. It moved us from the temporal to the permanent. From the temporary to the permanent. New life is about permanency. Eternal life is about permanency. When Jesus went to the cross, he settled and moved us from the temporary to the permanent. And every crisis is designed to do that to you. Things are going to change when this is over. Are you hearing me? The world's going to be different. This is this president's uh, uh, 9-11. Everybody has their crisis. And crisis exposes the cracks. And what it does, it exposes your leadership capacity. Oh, uh-oh. But that's what catalyst, that's what crisis does. Crisis is a catalyst. It's a moment that occurs to bring change. A moment that occurs to bring change. So crisis moves you from one level in life to another. It always does that. After 9-11, the world was different. We had agencies put in place so that we wouldn't have another catastrophic event like that or at least be prepared. So this is going to do the same thing. How this is going to flush out, we'll see it. But we're supposed to learn during a crisis. Are you hearing me? The people of God should be the most cutting edge people on the planet because they have what is called the Holy Spirit. He knows things before they happen. Are you hearing me? Should be the most cutting edge people on the planet. Should not, nothing should really break us. But it does. 
And I'm going to share some things with you to kind of cause you to understand how that happens. But a crisis doesn't have to be enjoyed. It just needs to be endured. That's a good thing to write down. Crisis doesn't have to be enjoyed. You don't have to enjoy this. And, and most of us won't. But we have to endure it. Hebrews 12, 2, he said, run the race that I've set before you with endurance. Run the race with endurance. So crisis, every crisis comes to expose us. God always deals with his church first, amen? And he's concerned about his church. So what is he concerned about the church? He's concerned about the heart of his church. And so crisis does one of two things. It exposes your faith or your fear. But it's designed to show you, you. <laughs> if we walk through this and we don't learn about us, we fail the test. Something that we should have gleaned through this whole process. I love it because God doesn't send everything, but he uses everything. Are you with me? I'm not standing here saying he sent this, but he will use it. He can use anything. And he gets glory out of everything. Are you hearing me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life, John 3.16, basic scripture. Most of us who've been born again for a while know, even babes know. That whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. Perish carries a deeper meaning. And the deeper meaning of perish is you may die, but you won't stay dead. <laughs> Are you with me? There are Christians who die tragic deaths, but there's something about them that keeps them living. And he said, whosoever believes in me will never, what? Never die. That's the promise. That's the promise. So we have to develop a mindset beyond time and move into eternity. Again, he allows crisis to move you from the temporal time to the permanent eternity. So God wants his followers to develop a mindset, an eternal perspective that moves you beyond time. And that will deal with the fears that time presents. Are you hearing me? Yes, it will deal with the fears that you experience in time. In time. God loved the world. He created. But his motivation for giving that which was most precious to him was based on the fact that he did love the world. So he uses the same pattern. He says he, he wants to prove Abraham's love in Genesis 22. And I love that 
portion of scripture because it, it brings so much information to us about a man's commitment. And he says in Genesis 22, 12, he says, now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son from me. Everybody knows that story. You should know it. Abraham was told to present his son very much like God. I need to know what's in, I need Abraham to see his own heart. God knew what the result was going to be. But what a profound test. The only thing that he got from this, what he got from this, was faith from Abraham. He could have got fear, but he got faith. That test exposed Abraham's heart, like every crisis does. God is unimpressed with our outward appearance. But he is impressed with what motivates your heart. And if faith is motivating you, he's got the right thing motivating you. Hallelujah. So this crisis, like every crisis, is a test of the heart. Amen. Test of his church's heart, his body, his church. Abraham's story was, was a profound story. There's good reason he referred to Abraham as the father of all who believe. The Bible, which is inspired by God himself, would not use this kind of wording to talk about somebody. This is very specific wording. The father of all who would believe. What impressed the kingdom was Abraham's belief. Abraham had a greater fear of God than anything else. We just sang a song, I love you, Jesus. You know, these songs have to become real. If you sing these songs, they, they, he, he knows how to, a way of making them a reality in your life. We want to sing what we believe. Amen. We shake our head, but guess what? <laughs> when, when the rubber hits the road, where are we? Abraham had a greater reverence for God than anything else. He had a greater reverence for God than anything else. I got it in my notes. Repeat this. <laughs> greater. You have to have a greater reverence for God than anything else. And then you live in the realm that he wants you to live in, that realm of peace and safety. Regardless of what happens, you know you're okay. That's a, that's a realm. That's a realm. That's a realm we live in. And Jesus said this to people. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He said, don't fear. Fear nothing greater than you fear him who determines eternal things. Have a greater reverence for God than you have for anything on the planet. But this also provided insight into the character and nature of God who will use events, circumstances, even things he did not send to expose our hearts toward him. He already knows your heart. He needs you to see it. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, God understands the difference between, between beliefs and values. 
values or what things we consider important. He knows the difference. And he wants his followers to be clear about what they believe. Sometimes, you've heard me say this before, there are times when we need to look at our beliefs and examine them and make sure we're believing right. Because how you believe determines everything about you. It determines your life. It determines the choices you make. It impacts them. It impacts them. Here's the, here's the issue. Because our beliefs drive us, the motivator becomes just that. It becomes whether you're going to choose faith or you're going to choose fear is rooted in what you really value. Let me share this with you. This is how beliefs work. When a need arises, your beliefs go to work and make suggestions. Are you with me? Your beliefs make suggestions, but your values determine what suggestion you're going to choose. I'm going to say that again. When there's a need presented, your belief system makes a bunch of suggestions to you. What you choose is determined by what you value. You got one guy who knows, you got three guys, they need to all eat and pay and, and, and live and survive. The need is that they got to survive and eat. One will go out and steal and have no issue with it. The other one will go out and he'll stand on a corner and he'll beg people for money. You got another one that will look for a job. Three scenarios, all the same need, but how they address the need is rooted in their values. Are you with me? You got a young lady. She feels, I need to get married. Even a young man. I need to get married. Beliefs go into work and make suggestions, but what they choose is rooted in what they value. And if you have a greater value for God, the choices you make, no matter what your beliefs offer, will always be rooted in that value system. That was worth the price of coming this morning. Because that's how we work. So we work. So why does a person choose and breaks down and loses their mind? Because their value is rooted in something other than God. Doesn't protect them because beliefs make suggestions. You know what? Maybe you need to take yourself out. That might be the best option. Maybe you need to go and 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 hold somebody up. That's the best option. How about kids? Go go and hit that eighty-year-old person in the face with your fist. drives that beliefs and their values determine what they choose low value for life so we'll do anything to life while oh, you're hearing me that's what happens
And so God wants us to make him our greatest value. So when your beliefs kick in and make suggestions, you're going to value what God says. A pessimistic person is one who anticipates bad outcomes. People live in that pessimistic space. They live in fear. They wake up to fear. They go to bed in fear. I'm told that, that when, when a person, words are so powerful that when they get up in the morning and they say, this is going to be a bad day, their whole body frames itself around those words and adapts to what that person said and prepares for the worst. That's why he said, let your words be yay, yay, and nay, nay. Whatever comes beyond that is sin. <laughs> Sometimes we, we talk too much. We do. We use words. Words are powerful. Words are containers. And they carry you from one state of existence to another. That's how you they call it. You ever heard it called a state of mind? What kind of state of mind are you in? It's based on your words or whatever you're listening to, what you're receiving, your inward talk. Are you hearing me? That's your state of mind. So I choose to stay in the word, especially in times like this. Stay in the word. Let God's words become bigger than anything else. Hallelujah. And so we get an insight into how God believes. You know, you know chicken little. I felt like bringing Chicken Little into the story this morning, into the message this morning, into teaching. Now, Chicken Little got hit with an acorn. He's standing under a tree, and he says, the sky is falling. And he gets everybody around him excited about and fearful about the sky is falling. And they destroy things on their way to speak to the king. The sky is falling. An acorn hit him. What did it do? It framed his whole mindset. <laughs> what causes hysteria is belief motivated by fear. Fear is attached to death. And that's why it's important for us to watch what we believe. Here's a key thing, folks. Here's a, here's a very powerful statement. You will ignore all incoming information if it is incongruent with what you choose to believe. You will ignore all incoming information if it is incongruent with what you choose to believe. If I choose to believe something about a person, whether that person is really that or not, I will deny the truth that people speak to me about the person. Are y'all hearing me? If it's incongruent with what I choose to believe, I'm not accepting that outside information. That's the problem today that a lot of folks are having with the evangelical community. They can't figure out why we are buying into character that doesn't represent the kingdom. And we keep endorsing it. They're confused. It's, I thought you people were people of integrity. Well, some of us are. <laughs> but you will ignore all incoming information 
If it is incongruent with what you choose to believe, when I take people through premarital class, I have to unmask their beliefs about each other. Because very often, when we want to link and marry somebody, all we see are the ideal. My responsibility as a counselor is to show you the reality. So one of the first things we start with is your credit report. You're laughing. That's reality. This is what you're getting ready to hook yourself up to. So you need to know. Because you bear the burden of those you yoke to in life. Are you here? Well, all of these things come back and you begin to understand how they work. You're yoked to a person. You bear whatever is in that person's life. It becomes a weight in your life. That's why Jesus said, my, your, my burdens are easy. My burdens are light. Didn't he say that? What you're yoking yourself to is the heart of Jesus. So whatever we yoke to, we're yoking ourselves to the heart of the thing. Not the ideal, not the outside picture, not all the stuff you've become excited about. Because I found this to be true. When we come together as people and we find something we like, what we, what we find is all of the things that are common. But the differences were always there. We tend to ignore those things. But later on, they somehow rise up <laughs> and become a reality. And so God is telling us, you know, don't ignore the in incoming information. Incoming information is important. Amen. Job's story. Job, 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 Job. Classic example. Job demonstrated the power of belief in a crisis better than anyone. I love this story. They called Job the greatest man in the East. It's in the first chapter of Job. Calls him the greatest man in the East. And I said, why is Job called the greatest man in the East? Because of Job's practices. If you read through, he prayed for his family early in the morning. He did very key things. That, that lent itself to the development of the character of Job. It was not just about his wealth. It was all about his faith. It was not just about his wealth. It was all about his faith. <laughs> there are several words used to describe his character. The Bible says he was blameless, being straightforward. Job had a straightforwardness about himself. He was blameless. He was upright, which means he was ethically straight. He feared God, which is the most important thing you could ever have in your character. The fear of the Lord. I like when David sinned, David said, here's what he did. He said, I sinned against you and you only. Yes, he sinned against other people, that woman's husband, but he, his first position was, God, I sinned against you. And if I hadn't sinned against you, I wouldn't have sinned against these people. So the emphasis was, Lord, you 
And then he began praying, Lord, give me back the spirit. Renewing me of the right kind of spirit. So that I can live right. Fear God. Fear God means, in the sense, he feared God and he shunned evil. This indicates his relationship with God motivated him to turn away from evil. Whenever evil presented itself, he would turn, turn away from it. Again, his beliefs would make suggestions, but his value for God would make sure that's what he chose. And he chose God. He chose God. I want you to pay attention to Satan's words in Job chapter one, verse nine. It says, he says, does Job fear God for no reason? In other words, you got to understand that the, the, the kingdom of darkness studies you. They know who you are. It's study. And he studied humanity. And, and Satan presents and makes some broad stroke statements about humanity to God. Because a crisis will expose why we really trust God. The entire story of Job on, 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 it rests on this simple premise. And God knew we would be reading this story 2,000 years later. That he trusted God. Look at the scripture. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have, not, have you not put a hedge around him? Notice what he's saying. You've put a hedge around him, his house, and all that he has. You're protecting him, his family, and his wealth. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. That's a blanket statement that can be applied to anybody. Are you hearing me? It's not just for Job. It's for human beings. Because let's face it, some people worship God because God has put a hedge around them, their family, and their possessions. You let something happen to a family, then we're going to have a different talk with God. <laughs> Truthful. That's a blanket statement. Even Job's own wife failed that test. She said, why don't you curse God and what? Die. She failed. Why? Because he's, our stuff is being hit. Our children are being hit. Curse God and die. Job said, women, you, are you crazy? <laughs> In so many words. Keith Pettis parallel edition. <laughs> Job's own wife, her heart was exposed that her believing was rooted in these reasons. As long as God does for me, me and God are all right. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? This, this crisis, this stuff comes to expose your own heart. You must know yourself and know what you need to sure up, fix. Because it comes to expose us to us. That's a powerful thing. I'm just thinking, God, you, 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 you knew this was coming years ago. 
he looks at his children and says, let me see how they're going to handle this. Watching to see how his children, I already know how the world's going to deal with it. How are my folks dealing with it? You remember, Jesus came to the disciples. He said, who do, who do men say that I am? But who do you say that I am? I need you to get a revelation of who I am. You need to know that I'm the Christ, the son of the living. It, it matters not what they say. It matters what you say about me. That's what matters. What do you believe? What do you? How, who, do I, who am I to you? Where do I, where am I positioned in your life? He knew he wasn't in the top position in Peter's life at that time because Peter denied him, but he was working on him. So I like this. There's still hope. Right? There's still hope. I want you to be hopeful. Everybody's not here yet. Sometimes I got to be careful how I talk to this church. So I'm in a place. I, it, death doesn't scare me. <laughs> Told my wife, he could come back today. It'd be fine with me. We good? Yeah, we good. Let me get out of here. Get on to the next level. The, the eternal level. That must be nice over there. I'm getting glimpses of it in my spirit. Man, that place is out of sight. Okay, come and re renovate this planet. <laughs> renovate. You talk about HB, what is it? Makeover, extreme makeover? That's an extreme makeover story for you. Hallelujah. Are you getting a picture this morning? Is it coming through to you? Now, like what he says in Galatians chapter 2. He says this in Galatians chapter 2. Let's go. Galatians chapter 2, the next slide. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. It's Peter's story. It's Peter's story. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This is Paul talking. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were worried, who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, and James is the head of the, 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 the church in, in Jerusalem, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people. Listen, if you live to people's criticisms, you'll die. If you live to their praises, you will die to their criticisms. You can't live to the praises of people. He was afraid of the criticism of these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And this is the New Living Translation. And the next verse says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The background of this event started way before this. Peter always had a bias toward Gentiles. God had to fix his mind when it dealt with Cornelius. If you remember, in Acts chapter 10, a Roman officer named Cornelius 
saw a man coming to him. He was, these were new Gentile believers. There was this thing beginning to happen where God was bringing the Gentiles in to the church. And the Jewish followers were having a problem thinking, again, it's exclusive to us. Isn't that interesting? Here he has a need to please these Jewish believers. He has a need to please these Jewish believers. He has a need to please. Are you hearing me? These Jewish believers who came from Jerusalem, from the headquarters, whom he knew. And he throws shade at the Gentiles. Who he's been eating with way before they ever came. You ever heard this story? You, you've seen this happen. You've seen people who, one, they're one way until somebody else show up, and then everything shifts. Are you with me? You've seen people, that we call it throwing shade. Maybe that's a word that's out of style now, and words change so fast. I didn't get my new dic abridged dictionary <laughs> of popular words. But Paul who is steadfast, confronts this hypocrisy. And this small crisis exposes Peter's heart, even after the resurrection. Wow. Are y'all hearing me? There are things that we need to see about ourselves, even after we're born again. Because we carry some stuff from our past into our current situation. He had a need to show ethnic allegiance. Oh, he had to show his ethnic allegiance to his comrades. You know how you know how we are. We have to show ethnic allegiance. In the kingdom, there's only one allegiance. Are you hearing me? When all that stuff shows up, biases show up. He, his allegiance to following the Jews. His beliefs now make suggestions. And his values choose his response. He had a greater value to pleasing them people in the Lord and Paul challenged him called him a hypocrite wow that's a powerful story even mature believers can have something so deep in their spirit God has to expose it to them and I believe right now God is using these kinds of things to expose the church prophetically expose the church's ethnic allegiance us, to certain things because there's only one allegiance. There's one to the kingdom of God and God himself. We are all on the same plane when we move back and trace ourselves back to our spiritual heritage, which is in the lap of God made us all in his image and in his likeness. And you know what's interesting? When you have a crisis, everybody stops seeing color. We need each other. All of a sudden, that thing kind of like 
when people are faced with death, oh, y'all know what I'm talking about. They're faced with death. You let death show up. People start changing. Where you my brother now. <laughs> my sister. <laughs> I want to live. Which shows you it was superficial to begin with. It had no value to begin with. Hallelujah. None at all. Hallelujah. It took me years of working on the heart of this church before we moved into this community. And you guys know, I don't play that stuff. I'm kingdom sold out. <laughs> kingdom sold out. I got one primary family, the king's family. That's my family. I had to work on the heart of Truth Center, which was predominantly African-American. Knowing God wanted this thing to look like heaven. Are you hearing me? So it's interesting that my family already looked like heaven. I got Puerto Ricans. I got Jews. I got Italians. My family looked like the United Nations. And we all come together and love on each other. Because we all are pedicists. But it goes beyond it. Guys, you, you get beyond. You're free from the things the devil tries to impose on you. And sometimes you don't even know what's in your heart till God shows you yourself. He has to show you you so he can take you to the next level. A crisis is designed to move you from the temporary to the permanent. That's what it does. And everything about God is permanent. Hallelujah. So we understand he hates unbelief. He hates unbelief. Here are three things. The basis of sin is unbelief. The character of sin is deceit. The strength of sin is pride. The basis of all sin, when people sin, the basis of that, they just don't believe. The character of that, what it shows is that you're deceitful. And what gives it its strength is rooted in pride. Are you hearing me? It's rooted in pride. God hates an evil heart of unbelief. Because it tells him, I can't trust you. Hallelujah. God hates an evil heart of unbelief because it speaks something to God. He can't stand unbelief. He'd rather you be cold or hot, but that, that middle of the road stuff doesn't work for him. And so he says this, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from who? Whenever you see a person abandon their faith, they've embraced an unbelief. Are you hearing me? 
People don't just walk away. They're, 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 that thing is worked on over a period of time. The enemy sows seeds of unbelief along the way to get people to fully embrace. Scripture declares that unbelief is downright evil. So if we go back to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the connection between power and soundness of mind, there is a connection between power and soundness of mind. God did not give us the spirit of fear, but of what? Power and sound. Yeah, and soundness of mind. The connector is love. The whole connection there is love, is love. Love is a force. It is the bedrock of everything that drives the kingdom of God. When love is perfected, when love is perfected, fear is canceled. God is a powerful force, but God is spirit. So love is spirit. Are you hearing me? There's certain things in scripture that define God. It says God is spirit. And then it says God is love. So God, who is a spirit and is love, love must also be a spirit. Are you with me? So love becomes the bedrock of everything that drives the kingdom. How do we perfect our love? Because the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. So how do we perfect that perfect love? Here's how we do it. So when we have come to know and to what? We've come to know and believe. You know something and you believe it. The love God has for us. You know and you believe the very love God has for you. That's how you perfect your love. God is love. And whoever abides in what? Love abides in God. So when a person strays, moves away, something is happening to their love for God. And they're easily duped to believe something else and begin sliding away from the very love that wooed them to God. Are you hearing me? How do we perfect love? We must know and believe. We must know and believe the love he has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We got it? Love is rooted in your belief. You cannot really exhibit faith until you exhibit love. Because everything rests on love. Faith works by love. That's why God hates unbelief. It's rooted in something that says, God, I don't really trust you. <laughs> love connects soundness of mind because power in life is determined by a sound mind. That's why now, Christian, you got to keep your head. You can't be moved by your emotions. Your emotions will lie to you. And I was having a conversation with, with, with our, uh, Dr. Clark. And Dr. Clark was telling me, he said, Pastor, do you listen to the music that they're playing behind what they're saying? 
It's all designed to work on your emotions. But your emotions will lie to you. Emotions, how I feel about a thing. You know what, you know how, what, what causes you to emotionally feel something? It's, how, it's what you think. Your thoughts determine how you feel. So if you can fix your thoughts, you can fix how you feel. <laughs> easy fix, <laughs> but not so easy. That's why Paul said, whatever's lovely, whatever's of faith, whatever's this, that, and the other thing, Philippians 4, think on these things. He wasn't just saying that. He was trying to get you to handle your emotional state and put it in the right place. So that you respond to things based on truth and not feeling. Sometimes we got to send our emotions to school and be educated. A double-minded person is what? Unstable. Not just in the thing they're dealing with, in everything they deal with. They have an across-the-board instability. Vacillating between faith and fear. I think I'll do it. I don't know. I don't want to do it. I think I do. I don't want to do it. I mean, we talk ourselves out of some of the greatest things, opportunities for our lives. Because we're afraid to take a risk. <laughs> and I like what, what someone said, faith is simply an intelligent risk. <laughs> Jesus was sleeping in the boat. Isn't he? He sleep where? In the boat. Isn't he sleep? The disciples are losing their mind. Because of the circumstance. These guys, I, you know, the Bible says it, but I picture it, I picture it to the extreme. They are losing it. And they're looking at him like, I'm gonna kick him. Why don't you just wake up? Peter, you give him the wake up. No, no, you you just and Jesus just. He's in one of them deep. Jesus in one of them drooling sleeps. <laughs> Jesus is out. And all hell is gone. You know why he sleep? Because the world he live in. Are y'all hearing me? The world he lives in is a peace world. He already knows. Whatever's going on out here is taken care of. Let my mind well rest. I, I, let me just sleep. But they wake him up and he has to deal to show them. Guys, when y'all gonna have faith? Peter, come, come, Peter. Peter starts walking until he looks at the circumstance. Get your eyes off of the circumstance. Get your eyes on the word. Whatever you have to do, saints of God right now, to fill your mind and heart with his words, do it. Put it on a card. Walk with, do something. It's the only thing that will hold you. In times like these, Sunday is great. We come together. There's a corporate anointing. Great. Thank you, Lord. We're blessed. But you got to leave here. 
and watch Fox or CNN or NPR or whoever we listen to, Al Jazeera, whatever. We need a rock that don't move. Let me, let me end with saying this. We all right today? Is this all right? So let me end with saying this. And I, and I, want, and I wanted to put this in your spirit. So when we deal with this, we know how to deal with it. We know what we should be focused on. You already know a lot of this is just stuff I'm repeating to you and stuff you already know, but you needed to hear it in a certain context. Here's why the Roman government had to get rid of Christians. Here's why. And, and this is just the most profound thing to me. The reason Christians were burned and thrown to the lions is because their belief in a bodily resurrection was a threat to the Roman Empire. All right, let me unpack it for you. <laughs> if I don't believe you can kill me. You see, power over humanity is humanity's fear of death. But if we extract the fear of death, and death no longer is something you fear, you can no longer be controlled. And the Roman government lost its power over the people, the resurrected people of God. The minute he went on that cross and he rose, he took the sting out of death. And what's the sting? Fear. And if you don't fear death, that's why I talk to this church, get us to a place so that we begin to operate in the eternal and not in time alone. Because time, you're going to leave time. And I can't promise you you're going to leave well. Are y'all hearing me? All them guys that follow Jesus, most of them were martyred. But I can tell you that what you got inside you will carry you until you see his face. They couldn't do nothing with those people. So no matter what, they burned them to the stake. Didn't matter. The people had a power that was so great that they, they could not stop it. And it just passed from heart to heart to heart. Elder Leslie says from breast to breast. It moves from heart to heart. And that's how the kingdom perpetuates itself. N.T. Wright, who is a real, one of my favorite theologians. I love N.T. Wright and his writings. This is what he says. He says, death is the last weapon of a tyrant. And the point of the resurrection is that death can be defeated. Christians understood God was inaugurating a promised new creation in which injustice and corruption would one day be wiped out. So God empowered them to take a stand here and now. I could elaborate on some things, folks, that I believe this is introducing. But this is going to get a little more difficult. <laughs> And if you don't start changing how you believe, you just might compromise him at the end. 
And you don't want to do that. Somebody asked him in, in my readings this week, reading through the book of Luke. Somebody asked him, said, said how many going to be saved? And Jesus said, the way is narrow. It ain't mega. <laughs> Are y'all hearing me? The way is narrow. Because folks will turn and walk away. We are in a great apostasy right now where people are walking away from their faith. They call it being coming deconverted. And for all kinds of reasons, I can elaborate on some of them, but suffice it to say, people are walking away because we are in the great apostasy where people are walking away. I don't believe in this no more. Well, hold on to yours. Don't let nobody take it. Something came to me this week. I said to myself, if we read the Bible backwards, that's where your pastor thinks. If we read the Bible backwards, much of what we understand, much of what we don't understand, we would. And much of what we fear, we wouldn't. Are you hearing me? Because at the end of the story, death nor any virus that causes death wins. The only one that wins at the end of the story is the Lord himself. So just think of it. If we read it from the, the end back to the beginning, what would that do to our faith? Let's bow our hearts. Father, we bless you. As that song said, I love you, Jesus. And I worship and adore you. Father, I pray for the faith of your followers all over this globe, everywhere. People all over the world right now need to hear you and know you. They need you, Father. They need you. And so, God, I pray, even in the midst of all of this, you continue to win humanity to yourself because humanity without you is totally lost. So I pray, God, for this family of faith that is sitting here today, people who have decided to come today and just celebrate you off our family online right now. God, I pray for every person listening right now under the sound of my voice. Touch their hearts. May a word spoken, Lord God, become their word. Because sometimes all we need to do is hear something of substance to carry us the rest of the way. So I pray, God, that you will give each person what they need so they will hear you in their own context. I love you, Lord. Just want to tell you that I love you more than anything. Let that be our testimony, God. 
Just wanna tell you that I love you more than anything. <laughs> yes, sir. Love you today. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just wanna tell you. That I love you more than anything. Oh, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you that I love you. the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Everything I say, let it be acceptable in your sight. Everything I think, let it be acceptable in your sight. Everything I believe, let it be acceptable in your sight. My God and my Redeemer in the house said, Amen. Amen.